Hi friends, my name is Scott Statson, and I am a recruiting industry veteran, um, entrepreneur, business executive. Normally I cover topics that are applicable to interviewing and hiring and people and operations. Today I'm gonna to cover kind of a new story because I think this is more historic than people think. It's the UAW strike, and today is Monday, September 18th, and this is a couple days into the strike, the first Monday after the initial strike. And I think this strike is going to be a lot different than previous strikes. So I live in Metro Detroit and I've seen a lot of automotive strikes. I've seen a lot of um, strikes in person. I've actually, years ago, I photographed for um, uh, news agencies, national news agencies, and I met with uh, executives and others uh, to photograph strikes throughout the years. Um, I actually forgot about that the other day, but I, I actually was a photographer, so I did a lot of uh, on assignment stuff, and the strike was one thing. If I can find my strike photos, I'll pull them up. I think my database is elsewhere, but I have actually been on the picket lines photographing, which I think I may do here in the next few days. When I have a chance, I'm going to uh, grab a couple pictures, do some live commentary or, or conversations with people, hopefully on both sides of this strike. But I want to cover this today because this strike is a lot different than previous strikes. Meaning, I think the, the UAW has kind of rolled the dice on this one a, little, a, a bit. Meaning, normal strikes are, uh, you know, us against them. Um, they strong, historically they've used kind of strong arm tactics and, and let me just share a, a strike that I'm familiar with. I live pretty close to this newspaper strike in the nineties. Actually, I could see what was going on in the strike. Let me, let me share my screen. Let me see how I can do this here. Share my screen. Um, and let's talk about, first of all, this strike in in 1995 let me look at which one i have so so let me let me share this this was the strike of 1995 um the newspaper union really had had a pretty long and pretty violent strike going on um it was a pretty rough time i lived very close to this i could see what was happening. And the strike went, went aggressive pretty quickly. There was a lot of violence. So there were people that they called, um, I think the strikers called them scabs. So people that they hired, the newspaper hired to, um, to really go across the strike line. So the strikers had the lines of entrance and exit for these buildings and manufacturing facilities blocked off sometimes very violently. Like there were times that they had barrels of fire. They had campfires going on. So it was almost impossible to go across the strike lines. I remember some violent altercations and here's a news. Let me just play this uh, quick news report of just some of the violence that was captured. Like it was, and there was a lot more violence. See, as you can see here, they're using tear gas. Uh, the police, they, they, um, the news in the end was against the police department because they used tear gas. They're blowing tear gas into the, into the whole situation. 
um, it was, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty violent. Like I, I wasn't, I, I could see it kind of from where I lived, but I, I didn't, we drove by this. This was a, a mound road in Sterling Heights. So you had to drive kind of by this and, and it was pretty violent stuff. Like they would, they would bus in workers to go across to manufacture, to replace the people that were on strike temporarily while they're on strike. They weren't sure how long the strike was going to last. So they had to continue printing newspapers. It was a newspaper plant and the strikers didn't want people replacing them. So they did everything they could to, to stop that entrance to the point where they were trying to do everything to these vehicles to keep them from going across. They had to meet in secret locations and put them in different buses and vans to get them there on property because you couldn't park on property. They were worried about their cars being set on fire and things like that. And it was violent. There were baseball bats and things. It was just a violent, ugly scene. Like it was not how how anybody should behave, whether you're uh, um, right or wrong on either side. Like it was, it was very violent. As a matter of fact, the union was busing in people from other states just to have more Im intimidation factor um, to to scare people. Like they had lots of, they had kind of uh, groups of people kind of bust in to to kind of promote their side a bit, and it was. It was ugly. I mean, this this strike actually lasted for years. Um, I don't remember how many years, but it was very, it was just an ugly, ugly, ugly time. Um, and I keep saying that because it really was. Like, it was not a pretty time for for anything. Um, it was a little bit. It was. It was. It was sad. It was. It was just. It was an emotional time for many of these workers and people that were trying to have a job and working for a job. And I say the union used to do this. Like it was, you didn't want to get in the way of the union. They were, they were not afraid to just uh, get out there. It, it got very emotional. And, and I don't know how it got to that. Did the union promote that? I don't know. I don't have any secret knowledge. All I see is what, what's in front of me and what I read on the news. And now we know what the news is not necessarily the truth. So this you this strike is gonna be a lot different. They have they have the leverage at this point. They I don't think I don't know if the union knew this, but they have historically in this past uh, year, uh, unions have kind of had the upper hand or uh, been able to push things, and they took a gamble that that would work this time around because it's worked in other places. Other unions been made some traction. I think they're now getting more momentum. And there was just a, um, um, the Biden administration um, really just kind of helped the union recently. They just decided, let's share that. Um, so the Biden administration just said, you're, you're, the, the, auto, the auto industry is making a lot of money. Start sharing your money. But let me, let me play that. Workers are the big three. Auto companies, you know, I've been in touch with both parties over since this began over the last few weeks and over the last the past decade. Auto companies have uh, seen record profits, including the last few years because of the extraordinary skill and sacrifices of UAW workers. But those record profits have not been shared fairly, in my view, with those workers, just as the Treasury Department has released a report 
pointing out that the most comprehensive report ever dealing with how unions are good for both union workers and non-union workers to, and the overall economy. Unions raise workers' wages, they said, incomes, increase home ownership, increase retirement savings, increase access to critical benefits like sick leave and child care, and reduce inequality, all of which strengthen our economy for all workers. That's because unions, unions raise standards across the workplaces and entire industries, pushing up wages and strengthening benefits for everyone. That's why strong unions are critical to a growing economy. All right. Well, I'll, I'll stop it there. Um, you, you get the idea. So the Biden administration and the president is supporting the union and wants the automotive industry to share the profits with the workers. I think for me that that's a little bit of socialism. Um, and I don't think the, uh, you know, if you start, let's just put it this way. If you start a business, do you want to share your, your, uh, profits with the people that work with you? Like that's a whole different ball game. Like this isn't about sharing our profits. This is paying a, a wage. Now is their wage, can their wage be increased? Um, sure. Um, do they deserve it? I don't know. Probably. I mean, probably do they deserve a almost 50% wage increase plus other incentives? I, I don't really know. Like this is supply and demand skill set. Um, but if we're fighting to share profits, like if companies are making billions and trillions of dollars and we want to, it's not fair because the workers aren't making money. Why aren't we fighting for the, where, where Apple, for example, has relocated their manufacturing facilities in China where they don't pay them really, they pay them just nothing. Um, and they have child labor. Like why, why aren't we fighting for that? Why is it that is it emotional as it is for people in your neighborhood? Well, first of all, from a political standpoint, they're not your voters. They're not people that are going to vote for you. So you want to influence the vote. I just think politics and business need to stay away from each other. Um, business operates Differently, yes, that we need some regulations, but I think we overregulate more than anything else. This is Scott's two cents. I could be totally wrong, and please correct me. And I'm open to discussion on this. Um, but I think what I'm getting to is I think this strike is a lot different than other strikes. Um, this strike is is honestly, I think there's a, just a lot more momentum. Um, for this strike than there has been for other strikes. Um, I think there's more influence. There's more push for it. So I, I think I think at some point the the automotive industry is going to have to give in. Do they want to give in to the 50% and everything? The, the problem is that starts setting a precedent. It sets the precedent. But I don't think they're going to have any other... I don't think they're going to have much of an option at this point. So I, I've negotiated thousands of deals in my career. Um, I've been in the recruiting industry, negotiated salaries, company fees with attorney groups and corporations for, for 30 years. So I'm, I'm pretty well versed in negotiation. I'm very comfortable negotiating with anybody. I think the problem is, and I always say this, even to people that are interviewing for a job, when you start negotiating at the end, it gets ugly. It's too late. It's always easier to deal with the difficult conversations up front. I think if the, and I don't know what went on here. All I hear is one side yelling at the other side. 
What I hear, though, is the union said, we tried to negotiate, we tried to negotiate in the summertime, and the automotive industry didn't want to do it. They didn't want to have discussions. That could be true. They could have wanted to push it to the end. It sounds like a kind of a big corporate uh, automotive kind of tactic, which is a terrible tactic. I think dealing with the difficult conversations up front, you set the precedent, you you set the standard, you understand what you're up against. Maybe they thought the the market was on their side and unfortunately it's turned against them. I think now that, you know, they promote uh, uh, the unions pushing that, you know, CEO of GM uh, made almost 30 million last year. Like, how do you fight against that? And the average worker is making what, $50,000, $60,000 a year? I don't know what that number is. I I estimated that on the wages, but that doesn't include any benefits if we throw that in. So so there is an imbalance, but should there be an there's an imbalance with every corporation? Okay. The CEOs make tremendous amount of money. And is that fair? I, I don't know. Why are we paying them that much? Why are why is that acceptable? Um but you know, pay transparency opens a different it's another discussion for for corporations. Um, like this is kind of an ugly time. This is definitely an ugly time where we are imbalanced. But here's here's what happens. Let's just say what'll happen is, I, I think I can predict this. The automotive industry will give in to the union. They may not give them everything, but they'll give them close to everything. Um, at this point, they don't have a choice unless they have an out. Like remember they're hiring these workers okay to fulfill a business need unless they can get around that business scene unless they can shift manufacturing to other countries or other states in the u.s that don't really have big union pulse detroit big union state what about alabama not a big union state um other areas tennessee I think there's some unions, but not a big union push state. And I know there's other states in the U.S. that manufacturers have moved to because of the the cost of labor and the cost to uh, really get away from uh, union labor costs and and that and that leverage. Or they just move the the plants out of the country, Mexico, um, China, uh, Europe, um, wherever wherever the labor costs are less expensive. And then I'll have to do deal with unions. The uh, Europe has a lot of union influence, so Asia is a good place. There's a lot of people, a lot of workers, a lot of skills. Cost is next to nothing. And what will happen? This is Scott's prediction: is they'll give in to the labor unions, but they're going to plan, or they better plan, on trying to shift that work resource uh, elsewhere out of the country. Um, so. While they may, I think the the unions may gain ground. I think it's going to be temporary ground because it's kind of like it's kind of like when I have candidates interviewing interviewing at a company and they go back to the hiring manager and say, "I, I want to leave my job. I'm going to leave my job for another job." Okay, and the the company says, "You know, we don't want you to leave. We're going to give you X increase. We're going to match." what you're getting at the new company. And the person, uh, the interviewer, the, the candidate job uh, candidate says, okay, I'll take you, I'll take the counter offer. I'll, I'll take that offer. I'll go, I'm not going to leave. I'm going to stay with you. Um, immediately you've broken trust with your, with your hiring manager. And 
that um, counteroffer that you receive from your current employer is just temporary measure. So they're going to, at that point, they realize, okay, you've broken trust, you're going to leave. And the odds are statistically, and this was years ago, the odds are you'd be gone within four to six months. Like that would be gone. I think it's it's even shorter time frame now. Meaning they want to let you, you've broken trust by telling them you're leaving. They want you to leave uh, really on their timing, not your timing. So they're going to work a way around it or terminate you or work something out where within six months you'll be gone. And statistically, it's it's 100% true. And I think it's the same thing here with the automotive industry that, you know, okay, we'll give you what you want, but now we're going to have to plan behind the scenes on how to get rid of you. Um, I just think inevitably that's what's going to happen. I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying that's just what's going to happen. That's how... Remember, these companies are public companies making record amount of profits, okay, for their shareholders and themselves and whoever. If they don't continue that, then their stock price dives. Um, then they're not making revenue. Then they don't have as much. And their 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 end revenue game is not the same. So they have to plan strategically how to work around these issues. Um, and it's... It's an unusual, well, it's an unusual time that the, the leverage that the UAW has today. Now that could change tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen in the news tomorrow, but I think today time is on their side. Leverage is on their side. I don't know if we would have said that a month ago. Um, and now we have to see how this plays out. I think the automotive industry needs to get back to the bargaining table and fight and apologize. It's kind of like when, when I screw up, when I make a mistake, um, and my wife knows it, um, denying it isn't going to gain me any ground. Like I've got to live with this person. Okay. They've got to live with these workers. What they need to do now is go back and apologize and, you know, treat them fairly, come up with some and see what kind of, the kind of deal they can put together. But in the end, they're probably they're probably going to have to kind of give up the farm um, because I think the longer that the workers hold out, um, the bigger the impact on the automotive industry. Like they went to on time, uh, what is it? On time parts, on time supply, which means they don't have a, uh, a warehouse of supplies. Um, so all these automotive companies have stamping and parts manufacturing that are tied to their, to their uh, uh, company and the unions work at these shops. So they have stamping plants and other plants that make different parts and they have on time parts they have. So they make them just in time to ship them and get them to the manufacturing facility. They don't have warehouses and piles of these things. And this was a cost saving move years ago which means they don't have parts at some point if they can, even if they can get workers in to the manufacturing plants, they can't train and reskill part-time workers to retool these things. They're going to run out of parts at some point and they're going to have to stop manufacturing cars. Um, now during the, the COVID we saw um, really fields of cars that didn't have chips and it was very similar to that. So now that the, I think the chip manufacturers have caught up, they can, they've sold the cars that were in the fields. Um, 
uh, my guess is they don't have stockpiles of parts that they can use um, to fulfill those when they go on strike. So the bottom line is I think the automotive industry is going to gonna take a hit here. Um, let's take the least amount of hit we can. And let's, you got to remember, you got to motivate these people to, to work and to want to work hard and to put the quality back in. We had quality issues um, in automotive manufacturing for, for many, many years. That's why people bought cars, foreign cars, because they were, they had a better reputation for, for quality. So, you know, and, and you hear the slogan, quality is, uh, is job one at Ford. Um, because there were quality issues all over the place. Workers would come in, they didn't really care what to do and they'd slap things together. And in the end, they'd have quality issues with their cars. So there's a few things at stake. Um, I would love to be on the bargaining table and work with both sides to come up with an agreement. And I know the union, while they may put a, a great face on publicly, uh, uh, for news conferences, they're pretty aggressive. They're pretty in your face. I don't think they're going to negotiate in a soft way. Um, and, and how do you handle that? You, you let them talk. You let them, you're right. You sympathize with them. You, you, you have sincere empathy with them and their workers. And let's, let's try and make this right. Because the automotive industry, the workers really did take a hit. When there was a downturn in the automotive biz, the workers took uh, concessions. Uh, they let people go. They took concessions. They lost benefits. Now they're trying to get back up to that wage. So it, it's, it's an interesting time. It is a historic time because this kind of sets the stage, but this also can set us on a trajectory where manufacturing starts to go elsewhere or we tr start to do things differently. Um, with now that they want, we want to move to the, uh, electric cars, which need supposedly need less people to manufacture them. That's another ugly story. But anyway, give me your thoughts. Tell me what you think, good or bad. You know, and I'm I'm not necessarily pro-union or anti-union. I'm pro-individual. I have a problem with people representing me. I like to represent myself, but that's just me. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see what comes out in the end. I just think no matter what happens, this is probably going to be a short-term gain for for the union and who knows what's going to happen in the next couple of years but tell me your thoughts thanks for watching